0: My sermon is going to be challenging in some ways, and I hope that, that you can take this first part um, It feels like I'm jumping in with both feet, so I'm, I'm wanting to walk you into it. You haven't been experiencing the things that I've been experiencing this week, but I don't know how to do this other than just jump in. I feel like that the commission that God has given us is is great, but God wants to work through us, and so I. I believe that God wants to just awake awaken something in us today, an expectancy, a sense of purpose and, and mission and God said that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. God's word and his promises are true. We need to stand on them. when we don't see him today. We need to anticipate him for tomorrow because just like Abraham learned while Abraham, the scripture says, even though he looked at his own physical body and he considered himself as good as dead, I mean, he was old enough to where there's no hope for that child to come along, yet he didn't waver in the promises. We've been studying Romans chapter 5. He didn't waver in the promises, but he knew that the day would come when God would reveal that promise, even though his own wife laughed at hearing the angel of the Lord give that promise again or speak of it again. Why did she laugh? You know, there's people very close to us that may hear us standing on the word that we have from the Lord, the things that we have received, God's promises, the testimony of the Lord, the things that we he, he, he preached. Or the things that we hear in the secret place when God whispers in our ear. There may be people around us that they hear that and they go, oh, you know, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Or that doesn't even happen today. That was from back at that time. But when God gives a promise, he intends to fulfill it. What he needs is our availability and our willingness to participate with him. He's not depending on our supernatural ability to accomplish it. He knows that his supernatural ability is more than enough. And today, we have a nation of people that are alive because of the fact that the promise that God fulfilled to Abraham was fulfilled. But the promise that God gave to Abraham was fulfilled. Amen? And even more than that, because Abraham stood in faith, every one of us, whether we were born into that bloodline or not, have been included in the promise of God, and we're able to receive the salvation that came through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 But I want to just ignite something if I can inside of us. And let's go to to Matthew chapter ten. Matthew chapter ten. Matthew chapter 10, we've spoken on briefly before. I'm going to retrieve my bottle of water over here. Have y'all ever tried Fiji water? When I was working down in Florida one time, I had been invited to go over to Fiji, and so I thought, well, since I haven't been yet, but I thought, well, since I've been invited to Fiji, I might as well try out their water. That's expensive water. (laughs) Um, So I bought a bottle of water, and I like the bottle, uh, not necessarily because it's got a flower on it but more the shape. And I kept going to the water fountain and filling that bottle of water up in the water fountain. And uh, before long, I had people in the workplace where I was saying, do you like that Fiji water? I said, well, I think it's great. They didn't know I was getting it from the water fountain. But I want you to know within about two weeks, about a third of the people in that office were drinking Fiji water. And they were buying it from the store. (laughs) But I had a different source. You have to be careful. You may just have the ability to influence people. Oh, thank you, honey. Cecile went and got me a bottle of water. Thank you. Um, but, anyhow, that was really aside. The Lord help us tap into the source. Amen. Um, I, I'm just trying to make that spiritual. That wasn't really spiritual. In John, I mean, so Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness, then it goes through and gives the listing of the names of the disciples. Okay, then in verse five we come down and it says, "Jesus went, sent out the twelve with these instructions: Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans." There was a time when the provision and the promise of God was not readily available to people who were outside of God's chosen people, the Israelites. I thank the Lord we don't live in that period of time today. Even at that time, we can see in Jesus' ministry that Jesus said, you know, this is the children's bread. But when someone came in faith, when a mother came in faith and said, yes, but even the dogs could eat the crumbs that fall from the table, Jesus wasn't holding back. He was just testing her faith. Matter of fact, you can even see in Jesus' journey that he went up into the areas of Tyre, into other areas, and he set the demon-possessed person free in in the one place, in the Gadarenes, and then he went to the other place, and he ministered in in places outside of Israel, but um, at this point, he was not sending his disciples outside of, of the house of Israel. He says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, <coughs> but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Century it says lost sheep. It doesn't say they were a sheep. They had a need. Verse 7, go and announce to them that the kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as you have received. Anybody here received a blessing from the Lord? There's some things that I I want to do today that need to be interactive and uh, and it's not going to get crazy or anything like that. But can we just have a a raise of... uh, uh, This may be a little little uh sensitive to some people but i mean has anybody here ever been physically healed a physical measurable healing you've had a leg grow out you've had a touch in your body when you were sick you 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 were able to definitively know that god healed you in some kind of way look at the hands around you I I don't want anybody to answer this unless you're free to do it, but uh, my goodness, I need to do it because our testimony needs to be sure. Anybody struggled with, with, um, I'm going to say, a chemical dependency and God delivered you from that? There's hands. Um, anybody, Anybody... I mean, I'm not going to go any further with it. I just want to say there are multiplied ways manifest just right here in this place where God has shown his power and his goodness to us. He set us free. He's taken us from a hard, dark place. It may have been depression. It may have been bulimia or anorexia. It may have been we had just lost a loved one and we were in a severely dark place or a hard place. It may have been that we went through the brokenness of divorce. It may have been that that we suffered loss in some kind of way. It may have been that we went through financial desperation. I know a lot of people have been through that before, but you've been through financial desperation. But yet God made a way. What you thought was going to be the only day became a yesterday because God gave you a new tomorrow. All of us, I believe, in some kind of way, at least most of us that I know here in this place, have had that experience where God took you through something and brought you out the other side of it so that you were able to celebrate but you know the testimony the scripture talks about in, in Malachi that there, that there is a rejoicing in heaven that there's a record made in heaven when the people of God speak about what God has done for them and we rejoice about what God does and, and heaven makes a record of it and uh, it's important for us to tell the story about what God's done for our life not only so that we remember it Lord knows I've forgotten so many things that God's done for me anybody else there? There have been so many things that I've prayed about and God has answered, and I just move on and forget about what what happened. I may tell somebody for a few days or something like that, but then I just, that record is lost in my memory, and every once in a while, God will revisit something to me, and I'm like, Lord, I, I forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that to my remembrance. But here God is challenging the people of uh, uh, his, his disciples. He said, he said uh, I specifically want to go back to verse 7. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. What does that mean? May things be done on earth the way that they are done in heaven. May things be done according to God's will here on earth the same way it's done in heaven. There God has come near to us. God has brought hope, God has brought deliverance, God has brought salvation, and along with it, the kingdom of heaven is putting back into order in the earth the way things should be according to God's plan in heaven. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, some the scripture says, and freely give. I'm In the New Living Translation, it says, give just as freely as you have received. Give just as freely as you What have you received? Give it. We give hope by telling the story. We can pray for people and see people set free. But isn't it interesting in this passage that Jesus says heal the sick? Now we could probably go there in that if we see somebody that's sick, we would be willing to lay hands on them and and, and pray for them or at least. I'll be praying for you, you know. I I mean, how many of us would really stop or really ought to, but just stop and pray for the person right then. Pray for God to bring healing to them. Pray for deliverance for them. Pray for them to be set free. The next part may be just a little bit more challenging. He said, raise the dead. (laughs) That is a little bit more challenging right there. I don't know why, but it, it, it sticks in our minds. I, I'm, I'm going to expand this to you in just a little bit. But um, I know that I prayed for five hours for a little boy to be resurrected, and I didn't see him resurrected that day. But there was a fervency in my prayer. I don't think I've ever prayed nor been so emotionally and physically and spiritually touched than that day. I sat there holding that little boy's, little, little, was he five years old? Something like that, holding that little boy's feet in the, at the hospital after the mama had already left, but the dad had said, don't l- let him go until I get there. Don't let him go until I get there. Don't leave my son. I, I want to bring him back. You know, his dad was staying in faith. He was in a, this was in Tampa, and his dad was up up north somewhere, Des Moines, Iowa, or something like that, and he wanted to fly back home, and I sat in that room with that little boy. I want to tell you, I wanted to see that child get up off of that bed. I've never been so moved for a long time after that. And I'm talking months after that. When I saw a little child's feet, it just tore me up on the inside. I would just weep. Because I prayed so fervently. I don't, you know, that's with God. I did what I was instructed to do and I prayed. But I didn't see him raised from the dead. I want to just, I want to to speak to you about something, about I believe God wants us to raise the dead. The dead may not simply be what we think the dead are. There's if y'all can y'all excuse me from getting, forgetting. I'm going to get earthy just a little bit. Many years ago, I just had a friend of mine that I'd known for a long time who was a judge who passed away, great influence on my life. He was an amazing guy. Barry Logston. I'll mention his name, he was up there in Newport News, powerfully impacted many, many, many lives for the Lord. Um, and Barry really had an impact on my life. One of the negative things, I don't know if I say negative, not so spiritual, let's put it like that, things that, that Barry introduced me to was a, a movie that was from a long time ago. Um from Monty, Monty Python called The Holy Grail. That was in my younger and foolish days. But there was a scene in that movie that that where it was supposedly and, and you know it's not really a funny thing but where they are they they're reenacting like a scene from the plague where literally you know the plague was a terrible thing that hit Europe and people were having they were Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have died, but they were having to literally bring out their the, the dead And put them on the carts and just take them out of the town and there There's a person that was going out crying. This says, bring out your dead bring out your dead It was such a common thing that people were just putting the dead people on, on the carts like that and I know it sounds foolish and trivial and everything but when I was preparing and praying about the sermon, I just kept hearing a ring in my spirit saying bring out your dead bring out your dead And I know that sounds even harsh and difficult to say. I'm trying to, I'm being apologetic about it, except that I believe that there's people in our lives, in our own households, there's people that we're coming in contact with every day in the world, that from all visible, all physical or emotional standpoint, the majority of the world has already written them off and said, look, there's no hope for them. They're dead. They're spiritually dead. They will never come back. They're never going to be redeemed from this. They're never going to be. They're never going to be free from this thing. So they are as good as dead. But in this situation, this passage is ringing true to me. And God says, "Go out there and heal. Go out there and heal. Go out there and raise the dead. Bring them back to life." It may look, from all natural perspective. That there is no hope. They have fallen too many times. They've gone to rehab too many times. They've been through too much physical adversity. Their body cannot recover. They cannot get free from the chemical addiction. They're going through the same cycle of of, of theft and going back into incarceration. But God says raise the dead. And what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. Amen? Can we turn to, let's go to, to, uh, I want to go to Mark chapter 5. Lord, help us to understand that we are on a holy commission. the people that come across our path that are in that place of despair and death and loss that they're separated from you god that we've got a holy commission to lord to bring them into the kingdom of god to bring light into their darkness verse 22 of chapter 5 of mark says Then the leader of the local synagogue, then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus, arrived. Now understand his position. He's the leader of a local synagogue. He's prominent. Whatever he does is being scrutinized by the people that are leaders in that synagogue. All the religious people of that town are going to be noting what this guy does. And yet, in all the controversy surrounding Jesus and his ministry among the religious leaders of the day, here a leader of the synagogue approaches Jesus because he was desperate. He said, look at verse 23, pleading fervently with him, pleading fervently with Jesus. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. And it says that Jesus went with him. But in the midst of the story about Jesus going to to heal and restore his daughter, Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. And while Jesus is on the way to go and minister to the need, someone with another need interrupts the journey. And the lady who had had the issue of blood for many, many years, who was standing in faith, reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And God healed her. But then we return back to the story about Jairus or Jairus' daughter in verse 35. And it said, and while he was still speaking to her, the lady who had been healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the master anymore. There's no use troubling the teacher now or the rabbi. Your daughter's dead. It's, it's over with. There's no more hope. Says Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, "Don't be afraid. Just have faith. We've got to, with spiritual eyes, be able to see what beyond is what is physically factual. We've got to, with spiritual eyes, be able to see what is beyond the testimony of time. We've got to." With with spiritual eyes, be able to see what is beyond experience, what has been the, the repetition of experience in people's lives, and be able to be able to see with eyes of faith what God can do. But God. Don't be afraid, just have faith, he said. Verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd. And he wouldn't let anyone go in with them except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, of <laughs> John's brother James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw such commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, "Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead; she's only asleep." You know, it's very easy when you're in the midst of that. Situation, especially when it's touching a family member, that that you can get so wrapped up in the emotion of what's going on. You need someone to be able to stand in faith for you. You need someone to be able to stand in faith for you. Someone needs to be there to strengthen you when, when you are so struck emotionally like that. Somebody needs to be there to stand in faith, to be able to speak the word of the Lord to you, to be able to lift you up and encourage you when you're going through a hard time. As the body of Christ, we're called to be able to be there for one another. I thank the Lord for, for those of you when people here are suffering in some kind of way that you rally around and you support and you strengthen. We need to be able to be there for our brothers and sisters. Our, our, our physical being, our emotional being is weighed heavy on by a lot of different things and we need the support of our brethren. That's why God made us family together. We stand together and we encourage one another when we're going through hard, hard days. But God gives us strength. Jesus said, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. What's all the commotion? And the says the crowd, here again, we have somebody laughing at that message of faith. Sarah laughed. Here again, this crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. Just get out. Just get out. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples, and he went into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, get up. The girl stood, who was twelve years of age. The girl who was twelve years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. You know what? It's just really amazing to me, and rightfully so. But it's amazing to me how little struggle there is when the when the command or the word of the Lord is really there. Jesus didn't fight, he didn't have to, he didn't work as hard as I tried to do that day a while back. I know there was blood, sweat, and tears in that room, but um, Jesus just spoke, talitha kum, little girl, get up. There was a scripture that I read the other day in uh, in the Bible where, I I believe it was in, in Mark also, but. Where somebody talked about their son uh, being demon-possessed and Jesus said just go your son is set free Jesus didn't have to go there and then the demon left that person because Jesus spoke a word and that person was set free the same passage we're looking at right here where Jesus said little girl get up Jesus resurrected the dead Jesus had to push away all the people that didn't believe but he went in and with a word from heaven he spoke and the little girl was set free. That's repeated in Matthew 11 and also Luke chapter 7. I'm, I'm sorry. That's Matthew 9 and, and Luke 15. I, I glanced over another note. There's another passage. Here in this place, you had somebody reaching out to the Lord. This, this, this Jairus, the synagogue leader, he came to Jesus, believing in faith that God could do it. But there's another passage over in Luke chapter 7. Let's turn there real quickly. Mike set an unusual precedent last week. He let y'all out way too early. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, and let's turn to verse 15. Actually, we need to look at verse 11. I just want to describe the story. And in this passage, Jesus is moving around. He's with his disciples, and he comes to the village of Nain, and there's a, loud, a large crowd following him. And in the midst of that that um, journey with Jesus and all these people following him, a funeral procession, a procession comes around as Jesus is approaching the village. And there was a young man who had died, but it was a widow's only son. And again, in this scenario, there's a different, different background to this. And the reason why this stood out to me, in this passage, there was a scenario where there was no father calling out and asking for help. There was no mother in this case. This widow woman, she was caught up in the grief. She wasn't crying out for Jesus to heal her son. She may not have even known about Jesus or known that Jesus was there. A lot of times we talk about you know it's people's faith. It takes someone's someone's faith or someone's faith around them. Here it's just an act of God, supernaturally moving in. And uh, Jesus in verse thirteen, when the Lord saw her, His heart overflowed with compassion. He said, "Don't cry." Here, it's a funeral procession for her only son. She's being left destitute. No son. And Jesus says, don't cry. His heavenly perspective of the situation had to supersede the emotional perspective that she had. He had to be able to breathe life into her loss. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it and the bearers stopped. I bet there are a lot of people saying, who do you think you are? Why are you doing this to her? Why are you trying to give her hope when her son's already dead? There were probably a lot of questions going through people's minds, but Jesus stopped the funeral procession of this young man. He said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16 is interesting. The response of the crowd. Great fear swept through the crowd. And they praised God. But it was fear. But they got close, but they missed it. A mighty prophet has risen among us. They didn't know that the Son of of God was walking with them. That's the widow of Nain. God resurrected the dead. There's another... um, I'm not going to go through everything that's here. I just want to say this. that Let's let's go to uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 11. I know that there's some things that I'm wanting to put into our spirits as a body. This may not be as polished as it, it could have been, but I'm not always that polished anyhow. Let's look at this testimony about Jesus' ministry. Jesus speaking about his own ministry in Matthew chapter 11. And this is... Duplicated in other passages as well. But Jesus is giving this testimony. When John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they wanted to know, are you really the one that we're looking for? Are you really the Messiah? Jesus gave them this response. He told them, go back to John and tell them what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me, or those who are not offended because of me. Those who are not, willing, are not going to be offended because of me. But here again, the testimony of Jesus' ministry is that people were healed, people were set free, people were brought back to life, and the good news of the kingdom was preached. That characterized Jesus' ministry. There's another passage I want us to look at. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. I know I've got you jumping all over the place today. Are you there, Luke chapter 15? Good, because I'm not. I'm having a hard time finding my, Luke fifteen twenty four. It's down at the bottom of my page. I moved my pages. <coughs> and beginning with verse, verse uh, this is the, the story of the prodigal son. Been a few of us who've been in that position of being the prodigal. And God brought us back. <coughs> but I love what, what the father says here doesn't matter how far you've fallen away from the Lord. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Here this prodigal had taken his inheritance. He had squandered his inheritance on, on riotous living. Done all kinds of things he shouldn't have done. Had all kinds of good reason to be able to look down on himself and feel like he's nothing. I'm no good just to be a servant in my father's house. But at least the servants in my father's house have food to eat. I'm, they won't have to eat hog slop. Now the Bible doesn't say hog slop. But here in eastern North Carolina, we know what hogs... Well, maybe we don't know what hog slop anymore, but that was the leftovers and everything that they threw to the hog, hog pen. That's what they used to call it around here. This, this, this... You know, a pig was an unclean animal to the Jewish people. They weren't allowed to eat pigs. If they ate pork ribs... If they ate pork or anything like that, then... Then... We had pork ribs out here on Friday. Um... <laughs> If they ate pork, they were considered unclean. Like they had violated their covenant with God. And here this person that was of the household of God with regards to his lineage and his descent, not only has he stooped so low that he squandered his inheritance and he's gone out there and he's been with prostitutes, he's been living a riotous life out there. He's gone to the place where he has sunk so low that he's not only working with pigs, he's eating the same food that the pigs eat. I've eaten some things. I don't want to go there. He's eating the hog slop. And he lifts up his head and says, you know, at least the servants of my house, in my father's house have food. So he goes home expecting to grovel and ask that he could least be able to work as a servant in his own father's household. And what does he see? Yes. Hallelujah, Randy. <laughs> yes. Okay, people of God, anybody ever walked with God and known God and then just completely messed up? And you found yourself in that place where you realize I'm I'm a child of the king, and here I am eating the hog slop. How did I ever fall? How did I ever stumble away? How did I ever get in this place? And when you dared to lift your eyes back to heaven, you found this. His arms were open wide. He was ready to receive you in a warm embrace and bring you back to life and godliness. He accepted you home. Let's look at that that verse. It says in verse 24, I want us to get this, verse 24 of, of chapter 15. I need to start in 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. <sighs> All right, we're going to deal with something. In order for you to walk in the inheritance that God truly has for you as children of God, in order for us, I'm going to put an us in us because I want to be in this. In order for us to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to walk in. Understanding that we are completely unworthy. We've got to get past our unworthiness and get into the acceptance into the household of God, we have been called children of the Most High God, to those who believe gave you the right to be called the children or the sons and daughters of God. But as long as the enemy can keep that heavy pigsty mentality on us and make us feel like that we have fallen too low and we're way too unworthy to ever merit God's favor, His grace or to be able to receive the empowerment to do the work of the Lord because we are not worthy of his grace. The enemy will stifle what God wants to accomplish through us. Other people's opinion, our opinion of ourselves. So, who are we to judge another man's servant? Even if we're judging ourselves. We are not our own, we're his. And if God says we're worthy, then we need to just be worthy. As long as we feel like we're not worthy to be in his household, we won't function in his household. As long as we think that we're not worthy to do the works of the Lord because we have not been redeemed. Do we think that the blood of Jesus was not powerful enough to cover our sin? Do we think that somehow that we have got to get ourselves clean enough for God to be able to work through us? We're going to wait for an eternity. But what if there was a there was blood shed on a cross on Calvary? And that blood was efficacious to a, a great enough degree to where it covered the sins of all of mankind. See, we so often can, can can speak that about other people and believe it, but then we turn around and we look at ourselves, and yet the accuser of the brethren still reigns in our hearts. He still speaks to us and says, But did you see what you did yesterday? Did you see what you what you said in traffic yesterday? Did you see how you responded in that situation? And the accuser of the brethren tells us that it must not been quite enough for us. And so the enemy stifles us from doing what God has called us to do because we don't think we're worthy. Let's just settle it. We're not worthy. We're not worthy except that we have been made worthy. We cannot earn worth in this kingdom. It was bestowed upon us. The blood of Jesus paid the price. Jesus carried that weight of guilt on the cross He bore in his body. He who was sinless became sin for us on that cross. Therefore, the Father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Bring the best that we've got. And put it on him. Put it on her. He covered. That son, he covered his shame. He was still in pigsty clothing. But the finest robe of the house was given to him. What was his destiny? What was his experience? What was his testimony about who he was? Was covered by the finest robe in the house. Oh, Take hold of that for yourself, won't you? If you're sitting there today and you feel unworthy, won't you take hold of that? If you feel like you can spend a whole week and a year and more... (sighs) Talking about how you failed and how you're unworthy. How you haven't, would you just take the fact that God has given you the finest robe in the house and that He's covered the fact that you were unworthy, the fact that you may have lived in a pigsty, and He said, it's good enough. I love you. Get a ring on His finger and sandals on His feet. Kill the fatted calf. It says, kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life he was lost but now he is found and it says so the party began i love that so the party began <laughs> hallelujah god brings prodigals home <laughs> is there hope There's another passage over in uh, in Luke chapter 16. You don't have to go very far to get over there, but there's a parable about this. this uh, go to verse 19. I know I'm hitting a lot of scripture. What did I do? Yeah, Matthew 16 and verse 19. We're in Luke. Luke 16, I'll clarify. Verse 19. If ever I mess up like that, would you just help me out? I don't mind your help, okay? Cecil said, we got you. <laughs> I get excited up here. <sighs> the page gets fuzzy, and it has nothing to do with my glasses. The glass are working just fine. I just get excited. And I'm going to read through this passage. I just want to touch one thing. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. This kind of adornment, this kind of robe had nothing to do with Heavenly provision. This had to do with his diligence and work, and I don't know where he got it all from. I'm not. It doesn't. We just know that he was a rich man, that he was outside of relationship with God, because the day came when he died. There was a, a poor man begging at the gate who was full of sores. He died too. So both men died. But Kellyanne, the rich man, did not have a relationship with God and he ended up going down into to eternal punishment and he was suffering down there he was suffering in eternal punishment there's some that that, I don't even go there chasing a rabbit Jesus talked about punishment Jesus talked about punishment for those who are outside and if we lose the fervency for that or we take that away then we're missing a part of what God was fervent about and why he sent his son. So anyhow, this this rich man is down there and he's suffering. And he looks across at this time, this is a this was a, a a time before Jesus had gone to the cross. So there wasn't the, the, the rich man the the, the poor man Lazarus I mean not Lazarus. The poor man was sitting there it was Lazarus was over there in um in Abraham's bosom. It said it was like a resting place for the the, the righteous dead before Jesus had gone to the cross and and paid the price for sin. But they were over there. They were they were not fully ascended into the into heaven or the kingdom of God. They were over there in a in a in a holding place. But they were not in the place of punishment where where the wicked had gone. And here this man's down there suffering and he looks across and he sees Lazarus the poor man who may have suffered in life but now he was in a place of blessing and a place where he was able to fellowship with the Lord. And it says that that rich man looked over there and and look at, at verse 24. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and just touch that drop of water to my tongue. He's in such torment. He's in such a, dif- a difficult place. Just that he could just, if he could just dip his finger in just a little bit of that water and just cool my tongue, I'm in anguish in these flames. You go through this passage, you find out that, that there was not hope for that man because he'd already passed from this life into eternity. And that Lazarus was not able to go and even put a drop of water on his tongue. But in that desperate place where that rich man was, it would have been, he didn't cry out for everything that that he could have had on the other side. He was just looking for some kind of relief. He was in a place of death and destruction and torment. And all he wanted was just a drop of of, of water to to soothe his tongue. I'm going to tell you what's got me stirred up today. This whole resurrection theme and this whole cry that's coming from my heart this morning. I, this week, I've spent a lot of time. I spent time on the road. I spent some time listening to some good, good messages. And then I spent some time, and I'm getting very practical here. I spent some time listening to recordings of people who were caught in drug addiction or chemical addiction. And I just endeavored to immerse myself in the story about what the clutches of that addiction does to them and how it completely comes to control their thought and their mind and changes their value system and ensnares and entraps and pull them further down, even when they're able to recognize what's happening in their life, even when they're willing to admit what physically is going on and and their desperation how it pulls and it pulls and it pulls. This is going to be graphic, but I'm going to be graphic about it, okay? Somebody, okay, this is going to go on tape too, but somebody said, if you want to understand what it's like for someone who is, is caught in, in chemical addiction and they're trying to get free from it, you understand what the urge is like? They said, eat a bar of Xlax lax and then try to fight the urge to go to the bathroom, Now, we're talking in the natural now, right? Okay, you going to feel moved. But I sat and I've got an article right here, Access NC data. Here's a state of county health report for Wilson County. Here's another one, Community Health Needs Assessment for Wilson County, North Carolina. I read these three reports to try to get an idea about where we are as a community. Folks, there's a lot of people suffering right around us. We've got a river of life flowing through us. And we've got a community all around us that's saying, can somebody just stick their finger in that river and give me a drop? I just need a drop. We who experience the life-giving breath of Jesus in our own lives, and we've seen the goodness, we've seen his healing, we've experienced his healing, we've heard the stories about what God can do, and there's people out there right around us that are lost. I tell you what, my heart has been breaking. Yesterday, I've so, I felt so undone. I'm like, Lord, what do we do? How do we do it? I I, I recognize the need for a supernatural move of God because we can't do it in our own flesh. Walking up to someone and patting them on the back is not going to get somebody set free. We've got to have a move of God in our hearts and our lives. Are we willing as the people of God? It's one thing to know about the promise and the provision of God. It's one thing to know about what God can do, and it's one thing to experience ourselves, but are we willing to share, Heidi, with the people that are around us that are so desperate? I know that some of you are. Your lives have been impacted by people, and it's hard for there to be chemical addiction or for there to be a harmful, harmful attitude or for there to be, you know, this report talked about the opioid addiction. It talked about a lot of different enslavements that there are. There, there's people that are suffering with with pregnancies out of wedlock and people that are caught in, um, believe it or not, our, our our HIV infection rate is lower than the state average but our our, uh, but our AIDS average is higher I don't know how that works the AIDS is actually higher than the HIV infection but it gave through statistical reports about the needs that are here in this community and Some of you I know have have gotten to the place of desperation where you've been so worn out, wrung out, so tired of fighting the battle, so, so tired of bearing the burden of having someone near you that's caught in death in one of these forms. And it's overwhelming to the point to where you're just in your heart saying, I don't know what else to do. And basically you've given over to say, well, they're just as good as dead. I don't know where, where the hope is. I don't see hope anymore. But the reason why that I read that passage to begin with where Jesus commissioned his disciples, he said, go heal the sick. He said, raise the dead. Part of it's just carrying the life that's already been given to us. See, the magnitude Understand. The magnitude of what needs to happen in the transformation of lives around us goes far beyond what we could ever do by sitting down and spending hours and hours and hours and hours coddling and helping people. There has got to be a supernatural move of the kingdom of God in hearts and lives. There's got to be an empowerment that comes from heaven that enables us to be able to reach people. We need to be able to walk with people as far as we can go. I think they said, I believe in one report, and and I may have this a little on the low side, but I believe that they said in one year that there was estimated more than $14 million of economic loss in our area just because of the opioid. And believe me, I think it was more like, I, I actually think the number is a. Uh, 147 million of potential economic loss in Wilson County because of that. I'm I'm saying 14 just to be on the low side of it. But understand, I remember having a conversation not too long ago about one of the the major factories here in town and they were talking about the the unemployment statistics and they said right now at that factory there was 48 jobs that they couldn't fill because they couldn't find someone to pass the drug test. To be able to feel that, and I know that any of you out there who are working, or if you are have people working for you, or you're just out there among people, it's all over the place. And I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 37, where God picked up Ezekiel and He took took him into that valley. And all there was was just dry bones all over the place. It's easy to look at our community. And in some places, in some areas, and let, believe me, it is across the economic spectrum of our town. I know it's at the higher echelons. And it's people that are out there on the street struggling. It's in, in the prostitution and, and all, over our, all, all over our community. It touches every area of our society it was mind boggling. I don't even understand the statistic, but it said I don't understand how they were measuring it. They they said that that um, per hundred people I don't understand how this worked, but it said per hundred people that there were had been ninety unless people were receiving more than, than one prescription. It, it can't even work, but they said there were ninety prescriptions for opioids. Um, uh, given out per hundred people. So some people must have been receiving more than one prescription for the opioids. But let me tell you, and there's, it's all over the news right now, but, but the opioid crisis is huge. It's hugely addictive. And and I don't have blinders on to say that there's probably people that are right here in this place that, that you may be doing your best to be free from that, but, but you may be struggling with it too. It's addictive, Okay. But Ezekiel found himself out there in the middle of that valley of dry bones and I don't know about you, I would not take comfort by having to stand in the middle of a valley of dry bones. Especially human bones. I wouldn't want to be in a valley of animal bones. But to look around, okay, let's be real. You're talking about teeth and skulls and bones and Toe bones and finger bones and leg bones and arm bones, shoulder bones, rib bones. I mean, just a valley of bones. What calamity has happened in this place that all these bones are there? The other night, I was watching some kind of documentary that Philip had on, and they had discovered these these bones over in Rome, and these people are down on the, on the ground underneath. You know, it's in like a cave down underground, and they're lying on the scaffolding. They're lying over there brushing dirt away from all these bones, and picking through these bones to try to find out what happened to these people or what they're, where they came from and all that like stuff and I'm thinking if there's a whole bunch of bones down there and they're all buried in mass like that there's some type of calamity I don't know if it was a war or a battle or uh, or a plague or something like that but I think you shouldn't be messing with the bones leave the bones alone just let them lie there and Ezekiel found himself I mean it's human bones that's kind of weird right kind of eerie I know people do that but um Bless them. But Ezekiel found himself in that valley of dry bones. And the Lord asked him the question, Son of man, can these bones live? And what did he say? You know, Lord. Thou knowest, Lord. You're the one that he knows. And then God gave him a command and told him to speak to the bones. And it says that there became a rattling among the bones, and the bones started shifting along. started moving into place the leg bones came into place and the knee stuff came together and the hip bones came into place and all the vertebrae come can you imagine being in that place and all of a sudden things start moving into place around you (laughs) exit stage yeah start moving into place and then it says that there was a connective tissue the the sinew and the tendons and the muscles started to grow around those bones can you imagine that visual of seeing that happening in front of you and then all of a sudden it became a skin that started to form over the, that, that muscle and, and before, um, over the muscle and everything the human form was completely there but in the midst of all of that the human form was completely there but there was no breath of life and he had to to call out and God breathed on the bones and those dry bones dead, lost, hopeless no no sense of life in them at all all of a sudden they raised up to become a mighty army if we have a vision of the dead and dying around us if we have a vision of those that are caught in the snare of alcohol addiction and chemical addiction due to drugs, and in so many ways the instamment of prostitution and and the prejudice that's in our area, and if we're if we're seeing those that are oh my goodness, there's so many different areas, people that are struggling with with physical health needs of people that are struggling i I think the wilson county rate for obesity is way above the state and the national average we're at 37 percent people who are struggling because they can't overcome the physical and and the 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 habit patterns that's putting them in a place of of ailment If, if if we have a vision of the bones can it be a heavenly vision where god not only sees the death and the dying and the destruction but can we get a heavenly vision and say i see a mighty army here i see an opportunity for the kingdom of god to manifest and resurrect and restore and bring people back to life can we speak life lay hands on the sick that they may recover and raise the dead Those that everybody says is hopeless, they will never overcome that. They've been that way their whole life. They are so immersed in that. You see the destruction they're wrecking upon their family? It would be better for them to just go on. Can we have a heavenly vision? Are we willing to put ourselves there and say, I will take that drop of water. I will... Jesus already bridged the gap for them, but somebody's got to tell the message. Somebody's got to deliver the word. I'm praying for God to move mightily in our community. Not just through our church. But I'm praying for God to cause a rallying cry to go through the body of Christ in this area. Who are those people, but they're never doing anything. What kind of vision do we have? Let's raise our vision. Come on, people. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Until we're one, we're never really fulfilling what God called us to do. Let's get a heavenly vision, let God work through us and, 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 and move through us to be able to, to resurrect the dead in our area. Now I need to ask you to do something. What time is it? Mike, he beat me. Would you please, if you know someone, and I'm asking for a family member, a coworker, someone that is close to you, if you know someone that's caught in chemical addiction, will you stand? If you know someone that has a life threatening health crisis, would you stand? If you know someone who's struggling with with depression and potentially their life could be in danger, would you stand? I want you to look around at the people that have opportunity to give life. I want all of us to stand now. Let's all stand if you can. I want to commission us, commission you, to go and take life. There's a supernatural infusion of the Spirit of God right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Would you open your heart to receive from the Lord right now? Look, I was so undone yesterday, I could tell you, I don't know how all of this is supposed to come about other than the fact there's just a cry of my heart saying, God, teach me. I-, I need to do whatever it is you need to do, but I know there's a work that's got to be done. And folks, if God put them within an arm reach of us, look for hope. Where is it? Who's going to be the one to carry that drop of water to them? Who's going to give just infuse them with the fact that there's more there's an opportunity for something to change here i know for some of you this is very personal because we're talking about this we're talking about your household or even possibly your life i'm going to tell you that he's the giver of life he said i am the resurrection and the life and even though everybody else is saying well they're good as dead i'm going to tell you it isn't over it is not over God we need a supernatural infusion of your empowerment Holy Spirit would you come work through us Carol will you come forward please I need yes would you please come forward we need to pray for her Lord whatever has us stopped up whatever has us hindered from being able to flow in the way that you desire us to flow. God, would you just remove it? Would you remove it, your God? Whether it's a mindset, your God, or a habit pattern that, that we disqualify ourselves because of and we say we can't do it because we've got that going on in our life. Whatever it is, Lord, it needs to be gone. God, there's lives hanging in the balance today. There's people that today that could be gone from this earth. That they could step into eternity without hope. And God, they just need a drop of that water that we've been... We've been Sometimes taking for granted, your Lord, we leave some of it left in the cup when we had it to drink all the way down. God, I pray for a supernatural anointing, dear God. Number one, Lord, open our eyes, dear God, so that we can look beyond the enemy and see the opportunity, dear God, and how heaven's host is waiting to do battle on your behalf, dear God, to set people free. Lord, you're more than enough, dear God. You can, you've can you set the captives free. Lord, there's testimonies right here in this room of how you deliver people from addiction, dear God, and how you draw people back from the break and how people almost lost their lives, dear God, because of the adversity they were going through and the depression and they were suffering from but Lord and you brought hope and you restored God this testimony right here in this room that you're God the healer God I pray that you would release that healing anointing to us and through us dear God into our community bring life dear God let there be life in Jesus name let there be life in Jesus name Lord Lord, we're calling people to salvation. We're calling people to deliverance today, God. We're calling co-workers and employees and bosses, your God, and, and family members, your Lord, and friends that have been ensnared and the enemy is, they may not be gone yet, but all is happening is the enemy is dragging them down. It's just a moment in time, just, just a few more days or just a few more weeks or maybe even years, but, but the process has begun and the enemy is intending to steal their life and take them away into eternity lost. But you intend for them to have life. But God, you're depending on us. So God, here we are. I want you to pray. We're going to pray for Carol right here. But I want you to pray concerning your situation. Would you pray concerning your loved one? Would you cons- pray concerning your friend or your family member or your coworker? Would you pray for them? And let God pierce your heart and cause it to be a holy desperation to see something change in this circumstance. Don't give them up as dead. Don't give them up as gone. Don't give them up as hopeless. We know what God could do. Hallelujah, Jesus.